0: Please always consult with your physicians prior to making any changes to your treatment plan. Music is courtesy of Ryan Hamner. Welcome to Living with Scanxiety, the cancer podcast. A podcast geared to help you navigate the pediatric cancer world. As a mother of a child who battled a soft tissue sarcoma for over a year, your host, Rosaria Kozar, understands and will help guide you through your journey. She brings the knowledge of experts, families, survivors and other organizations tied to the pediatric cancer world to your doorstep. Her mission is to inform, support and promote hope for you and your family.
1: This is where
0: hope lives This is where hope thrives Together as one
1: we Childhood cancer should be spoke about more in high schools because like they talk about adults with cancer but they never identify the children as well so I think that that needs to be pushed more and I think if that was um, more spoke about and more common to be taught about then I think when I got diagnosed it wouldn't have been such this big thing and people don't know how to react
0: Hello, and I am here with Karis today. She is a survivor of osteosarcoma, stage four. We're going to hear from her, her story. We're going to talk about bullying. We're going to talk about just a whole host of uh, things that caregivers really need to be aware of. And so we're going to start off. um, Welcome, Karis. Hi. Hi, and I'm so happy that you could be here. So can you tell me a little bit about yourself
1: and your story? So I'm Keris. I was diagnosed at 13 with stage 4 osteosarcoma. Um, I'm now 15 and have managed to be on the other side of it. I went through lots of chemotherapy and... I had liver failure and I'm now above knee amputee, um, which is quite weird to say. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's about it, I think. <laughs> wow. So
0: above the knee amputee. So my son was amputated from the, the knee down, which is a knee disarticulation. How... At the age of 13, how was the adjustment period for you? How long did it take?
1: So I went in for my amputation and only stayed for five days afterwards, including the day of my amputation. I didn't get my prosthetic until November 2020 because I delayed it because of my treatment, because it's quite intensive. And then covid hit and we went into lockdown and it's classed as non-essential but now i am walking around i walk around school i walk to school and just being able to do that is actually really nice
0: how long did it take you to adjust to be able to walk properly on a prosthetic
1: so i started walking in the november and in the january we went for one week and i was still walking with a frame and the next week we went back and i was walking miles on the leg without any assistance so it didn't take me that long at all
0: that's good they say the older you are the worse it is so you quickly bounce back and did you what kind of prosthetic do you have because i know they vary greatly
1: so i have the c leg 3 i think it's called and is that uh, one of the micro trip ones? It's a mechanical knee, so it's it Bluetooth to my phone. I can change it into walk, uh, walk in or cycling mode, and change different uh, like the resistance on it and stuff.
0: Oh, okay. So this is one of like the smart technology ones, then. Yeah. <laughs> so did that? Do you think that really helped in the transition?
1: Yeah. So I think that helped a lot. They said, because of my age, this is the best leg for me. And I had to get it as quickly as possible because it goes off like the NHS funding here in the UK, um, like in a few months, actually. Um, So they wanted to get me on it as quickly as possible.
0: And uh, what was the biggest surprise following
1: that uh, surgery? I think being it how quickly you adapt to things. Um, So it's like when I make myself a drink, when I haven't got my leg on, I can hop with a glass of water now and not spill any.
0: Really? So you really do adapt even without it. I always, you know, when my son had his amputation, I always wondered, is he going to be able to adapt like that? And I guess the answer is yes, he would have been able to.
1: Yeah it's so it, it's crazy how quickly you can adapt so I would I'm I, I quite like bacon and stuff um so I, I I think the first thing I made was brownies and I was just hopping around my kitchen grabbing different bits and stuff and my dad was in the other room having a heart attack because he thought I was going to fall over it's just like crazy how quickly you change everything
0: I- probably get nervous too, if I was in your dad's shoes, but thank you so much for sharing that. Cause that's really kind of a difficult thing to, to share in terms of the emotional impact that it probably had on you. And we talked before a little bit about some other things that you faced during treatment. And one of them was bullying. And that is such a underrepresented side effect, if you will uh of childhood cancer so can
1: you tell me some of the things that you experienced so it was students at school that bullied me so um there's one teacher at school who's got a prostate leg and he's helped me through it all um which is really nice just to have that bit of support when I'm like not in the hospital environment somewhere else um, the first incident of bullying was I originally got like diagnosed, and within a few weeks I was on crutches. But I hadn't told anyone in my school apart from my best friend, and I managed to keep my diagnosis like quiet for over a month. And people used to take my crutches, uh, say that I was faking it, and a lot of the boys used to just take them and hide them somewhere. And I could walk short distances without them, but not long distances. So they would say that I was faking, like, I said that it was ligament damage. So they said that I was faking that.
0: I am blown away. They used to seriously do that and treat you like that?
1: Yeah. And then when, obviously, I told everyone, um, some of the boys that used to do that haven't spoke to me since.
0: are probably embarrassed. And yeah, they rightfully shut. So, I mean, and what did the teachers do to stand up for you?
1: So the teachers didn't know either, which was quite difficult to um, incorporate. Uh, like, like them being told off if the teachers didn't know either, so they just got given just detentions and stuff. And then, obviously, when I told everyone, they just didn't do anything after that.
0: Wow. And how were you able to keep it a secret, if you don't mind me asking?
1: Um, It wasn't actually that hard. So I went in and within a few weeks, like the first few weeks, I was just walking fine. Then I started to develop a bit of a limp. So obviously they put me on crutches just to make sure that I didn't damage my other leg. Um, And so when people would ask me why I'm on crutches, I would say that I've I was running and I've done ligament damage to my knee and I'm going to be on crutches for a while. So that's that's how I uh, disguised it in a way.
0: Anyone your age or even older, it's very difficult to come out and admit that you have such a debilitating disease and it was that part of it that because you were scared?
1: So I accepted the fact that I had cancer. So we went to the appointment, got told, and when we came back, I went out with the next door neighbor's children to the park and stuff. And that helped me a lot. Um, but I think telling people was because you get a lot of what people call like fake friends and like just people just saying that they'll always be there for you when they're not. So when I did the assembly, my um teacher that has like supported me throughout my treatment and stuff did the assembly for me after like he obviously said that I had cancer and stuff basically the whole year came up was hugging me was saying that they would be there for me and I haven't spoke to them since they haven't messaged me and that was that was quite hard to incorporate at first but then I met loads of friends at the hospital um and that helps a lot.
0: Well, I'm glad you found a support system with friends that way. A lot of people are so scared and intimidated by the word cancer, but that doesn't mean that friends should back away. In fact, uh, I talk about this often on my Instagram at Living with Anxiety that people need to get out of their own comfort zone because here you are, you are told the worst thing in your life, and you have the strength to go through it because you don't have a choice and they're your friend and they should be able to step up to the plate and support you because that's a lot easier than going through what you went through. You said you have this amazing teacher. Can you tell me about this teacher? You don't have to tell me the name. (laughs) He or she may not like that, but you can tell them to tune in and say, Oh, I talked all about you. (laughs) (laughs)
1: I'll definitely tell him about this. So he's a art teacher. Um, and he was my head of year at the time when I got diagnosed. So I went and told him about it. And obviously when you're keeping it on the down low, you just need someone to talk to about it because you don't have anyone else to talk about it with. Like when you go have a scan, you can't say to people why you are school or anything. Like, and it's hard, it's hard to do that. So it was it was really nice for him just to have like for, for like him to have a space where I can go. So if I'm in school at the moment um, and I'm feeling a bit stressed or just want a bit away, like time away from the classroom, he's got like his little office and I'm allowed to go sit in there and stuff. But he's been absolutely like amazing throughout my whole treatment. And I, I like is it, I say like some people say this a lot, but like without him, I, I don't think I would be as positive as I am like having those daily conversations and stuff was actually really nice and when I was really ill with like my liver failure he was wanting to come to the hospital to come and see me because he he knew that I may not make it Um, and he wanted to come see me before any if I deteriorated or anything Um, and at, at the moment he's he's just so like amazing with helping me around school and stuff like it's just he's doing an amazing job.
0: <laughs> That's great. Uh, talk about a daily support system that you can have and uh, escape. You know, from the reality at in a place that seems school is kind of like a claustrophobic place, especially when you went through what you went through. So to have that open door policy, what an amazing person he is, and what an amazing person you are mm-hmm. for going through this. It must've been devastating to hear about the liver failure and needing the amputation. And that's where support systems really come in. So you had your teacher, but who else was there for you?
1: My dad, my dad has a hundred percent being there for me. He spent every single night in hospital with me. He's been to every single appointment, no matter what it is. Like he's He's just been absolutely amazing. So away from school, I've always had him. And sometimes if you're spending that much time together, you get a bit fed up. Um, So I always turn to my, I call them hospital friends. Um, And I'm really, I got really close. Like I still am with my cousin. We message every day. We FaceTime all the time. And she's my little support as well.
0: That's great. That's great that you had family supporting you. And what was the best thing about the support that they do? So for the caregivers that are out there, what would you suggest they emulate in terms of what your dad or your cousin provided for you?
1: So it's, it's, it's like little things. So when um, I was going through treatment and stuff, I was still trying to do some school work on the side and stuff and my dad would either like he would just send me like little messages or something saying that I'm doing amazing with my work or, or something like that um my cousin just like surprises me would come see me all the time she surprised me when I was in the hospital when I wasn't I wasn't very well I had an infection um and she drove up from Wales to come see me because she knew I wasn't very well and wasn't doing great I had my first NG tube fitted Um, Which I did not want. And she knew I was struggling with that. So she she got her nan to drive her up to come see me. And it's it's just little things that you do that make the biggest difference.
0: Having the little messages that you suggested, I can see that just you know, lighting up their day a little bit and the surprise visits and stuff like that. Yeah, I you have a big smile on your face. I know the people out there can't see it, but <laughs> she's glowing right now. Probably thinking back to the little happy times that that brought you. Uh, so you had those type of support systems and they reacted like that. The teacher was great. Is there anything that you... Wish could have changed, or the medical community could be more
1: aware about. So I'm a big um, on my Instagram and stuff. I push quite a bit about uh, childhood cancer awareness. So for me, I feel like childhood cancer should be spoke about more in high schools because, like, they talk about adults with cancer, but they never identify the children as well. so I think that that needs to be pushed more and I think if that was um, more spoke about and more common to be taught about then I think when I got diagnosed it wouldn't have been such this big thing and people don't know how to react and the bullying and stuff I don't think any of that would have happened if it was spoke about more.
0: So you said you're an advocate now.
1: Yeah, so I, I push it quite a lot on my Instagram and stuff. And I, I do stuff with different charities and that in the background. Um, and at school, they are going to, before I leave, because obviously I leave this year, um, they're going to push a lot more on teaching childhood cancers to future um, years that come up. I'm going to try and get it in, a, in like all the schools near where I live and hopefully further. And that's the thing that I'm going to keep pushing, even when I leave school.
0: That in itself is huge that you made such a stride in, in pushing your your school and hopefully other schools or teachers or nurses or whatnot hear this episode and say, hey, that's actually a good idea. And I might follow through with that. So I have, before I turn to kind of like the, what I call the fun part of the episode and ask you some questions, I want to know what's your Instagram handle? Call to action. Let's check it out.
1: So it's underscore and then Karis Davis, C-R-Y-S-D-A-V-I-E-S and then another underscore.
0: Okay. So underscore, Saris Davis, underscore. Yes here are my questions are you ready yeah if you had to choose to live 200 years in the future or 200 years in the past what would you choose future if you were a superhero what would you call yourself and what would
1: your superpowers be i think my superpowers would be to cure all cancers and i know that sounds pretty cliche but um I'm with you. (laughs) Be the one superpower I wish I had. And my name would be, oh, that's a hard one. (laughs) Don't really know. (laughs) Probably just my normal name.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. All right. So what is the most unusual thing or shape you've ever seen in a cloud? Um...
1: So dinosaur <laughs> <laughs> I
0: love it I love it <laughs> and last question what animal best describes your personality and why I think a
1: I think a lion because I can act all tough and can like be a bit like boisterous and stuff but then I've also got like a little sweet side to me somewhere
0: i love it i love it so you're like the lioness that hangs out with her cubs and fellow lionesses but when it comes down to it you get the stuff done that you need to yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right well thanks for tuning in everybody and thank you karis for joining me and telling your story
1: Thank you for tuning in to Living with Scansiety. Please subscribe to hear more informative discussions like today's. Music is courtesy
0: of Ryan Hamner.